This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Great sports weekend continuing. Had the Black Friday game yesterday that has taken up most of our attention so far this afternoon. The Jets losing to the Miami Dolphins. Earlier today, the game, the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, didn't disappoint again unless you're an Ohio State fan. Michigan wins for the third consecutive year. It goes down to the final possession. Ohio State got the ball with about a minute to play with no timeouts and had to drive the length of the field, and they were unable to do so. So Michigan beats the Buckeyes 30-24, to and all of a sudden, that rivalry has certainly taken a turn. It is tilted entirely back in Michigan's favor, and that's probably going to fall squarely on the Ohio State head coach, Ryan Day. Now, Ryan Day has been in charge of Ohio State now for five-plus seasons. He's got a record of 56-7. and seven. He's made it to the college football playoff three times. He lost in the semifinal in 2019. He lost in the national championship in 2020. And last year, lost a thrilling game in the national semifinal to Georgia. Yet he has now lost of those seven games that he has uh, lost. Three of them have been at the hands of Michigan. And that's going to, that's the nature of this rivalry, call his job status into question. So it'll be interesting to, and and this one was, was worse because, as we know, all the controversy surrounding Michigan and Jim Harbaugh and the sign stealing and the signal stealing scandal and the fact that Jim Harbaugh wasn't even coaching this game. And yet Ohio State not only loses to Jim Harbaugh the last two years, but they lose to Sharon Moore, who was, I believe, the second choice to be the interim head coach. That's not going to make fans in Columbus, Ohio, happy about where this rivalry is right now. But Jim Harbaugh took him a little while. And even though he's embroiled in his own controversy and who knows if he's going to be at Michigan beyond this season, he has done what. He was brought in to do, which is turn this rivalry back in the favor of the Michigan Wolverines. And again, that the the scene there, especially when it's in the big house with a hundred thousand plus fans and all that maize and blue, um, it's such an unbelievable atmosphere. A cold, crisp autumn day right after Thanksgiving, and the game rarely disappoints. It always seems to be like a one possession game. So Michigan's 12-0, Ohio State's 11-1. Michigan has to play Iowa in the Big Ten Championship next week. And if they win that, which they should, they would, for the third year in a row, go to the college football playoff. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776 as we lead off the hour. Let's go to Spike in St. Pete. Spike, how are you? Good to uh, good to hear you, Patty. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. I'm not the biggest football fan but I'll be very brief on that, and then I have one basketball question to throw at you. And by the way, you've done a terrific job on the radio broadcast. Terrific. Really, Thank uh, you, Spike. Yeah, I, I know that's – you're welcome. I know that's not easy. But uh, I, I, uh, I root for New York teams, and my football goes like this. Uh, I'll watch it. I lost uh, – since that Buffalo game last year with DeMar Hamlin, it just uh, – you know, having, you know, boys and, and putting grandchildren – just it's, it's taking me off plus what's going on in the world but it is our entertainment so i go to buddha 
uh, who who pinpoints uh, Woody Johnson as the main culprit, and it always goes back to the owner because he signs the checks, so to speak, if they use checks. And uh, he hasn't been the biggest Joe Douglas fan. And then Jose's very good, too. And then they pretty much are on the same page on some issues. I've known Ira for, since 1992, I believe. So, you know, and he's lost hope and faith. And there's no, there's no reason to even, uh, you see, they can't score 10, 11 touchdowns in, in 11, 12 games, some ridiculous thing. You can't win in the NFL if you don't score touchdowns. But let me get to the Nick point since, I, did you know, Donnie did the game last night. But I'm sure, did, you yes. watched, I'm sure you watched it. Tibbs finally did something I've been wanting him to do for the last, this is his fourth year, and he sat Julius Randle in the fourth quarter. I'm not knocking Julius Randle. I'm not knocking him. He he puts up the figures. They were a little, uh, you know, not so true uh, figures, uh, hollow figures, but uh, he turns the ball over at an alarming rate at six in the first half. But he kept them out, and he, he took a gamble. The big gamble, if you, I'm sure you watched the end of that game. Not the whole game. I was there. I was there. He, he, oh, you were there. Well, there you go. He put him in the game, back into the game. And you run the risk. But I think he set up a decoy system. And he and he didn't even have a Brunson out, out there the whole way the rest of the He was going with Quick and going with uh, Barrett, who's Jose's favorite player. And uh, Barrett's really stepped up a notch, and uh, you could see it on his play. Miami and the Knicks probably in the last 100 times they've played, it's 49-51. They always play very close. They're very similar teams. The Knicks control the boards. They make a guy like Mitchell Robinson ineffective by always getting him that second foul in the first three minutes. But that's Miami. You can never write them off playing or not. Or not. So it's good to hear you. Continue to do the games. I hope Eddie gets better fast. Uh, I don't know if you could talk, speak on that or you know anything. When I hang up, maybe you can comment on him. But thoughts and prayers to him. Uh, I don't want to see anyone get 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 uh, sidetracked for whatever reason. And uh, I think we're going to have a good basketball season. Football's over. I think the Jets should uh, you know do something. You let a 40-year-old guy who had his last year of playing slightly starts to deteriorate fourth play from scrimmage. He's out and he brings his buddies with him. It's, it's uh, leaves a lot to be desired, not getting a backup quarterback. So it does. It, it's not a good look. Good yeah. Good to hear you. My friend, could you comment you too, on the Randall, on the Randall move? I will. Thank you. I agree with you, Spike. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, look, Tom Thibodeau, J- Julius Randall statistically is the second best player on the team. Okay. But there are nights where he doesn't have it. And last night was clearly one of those nights. He had six turnovers in the first half. And Miami is a tough matchup for him. There's a lot of familiarity. He had a tough time in the playoffs against the Heat. Now, part of that was because he was injured and he was playing through a sprained ankle that required surgery in the offseason. But Miami is a tough matchup for Randall. Miami's a tough matchup for a lot of teams. They have probably the best coach in the NBA. And... Randall was not having a strong night last night. And I do give credit to Tom Thibodeau. He did not bring him back into the game until there were three minutes and 50 seconds left. And he brought him back in and Spike's right. I mean, Spike knows his stuff. He was largely a decoy down the stretch. He did not score in the fourth quarter. He wasn't a big factor offensively in the fourth quarter. As the Knicks outscored the heat 29 to 11 Brunson scored eight points quickly scored eight points and R.J. Barrett scored eight points. So he had three guys that had the hot hand. But to Randall's credit, 
He came back in the game. Knicks were down 96 to 87. They outscored them 13 to two the rest of the way, and they win 100 to 98. It's hard to keep Randall on the bench now, especially because you do not have a true alternative at power forward. And last year, Tibbs did that in the playoffs in, I believe it was the Cleveland game number four. It was the second game at home against Cleveland, and Obi Toppin was playing well, and Randall was not. And Tibbs kept Obi Toppin in the game in the fourth quarter, and the Knicks won that game, and they took a 3-1 to lead in the series. Um, Obi Toppin is no longer on the team. The backup power forward is Josh Hart. So the tricky thing about keeping Randall on the bench in the fourth quarter, even if he's having as tough a game as he did last night, is Randall's 10 rebounds a game. I know Mitchell Robinson, who also was not having a great game last night, or Hartenstein, who's not as good on the boards as Mitchell Robinson, but you have to take rebounding into consideration. If Randall's not on the floor, which he wasn't last night, Hartenstein played the fourth quarter, not as good a rebounder as Robinson or Randall, and Randall's not on the floor, then one of your greatest strengths as a team, which the Knicks, one of their greatest strengths is rebounding, is diminished. So it's hard to go like an entire fourth quarter without Randall on the floor when you don't have a bona fide backup power forward. Josh Hart is terrific. Great glue guy, versatile. We know all that he can do. But yeah, Tom Thibodeau made the decision last night. And, and Tom Thibodeau should... I mean, he he knows he has the right to do that. It shouldn't be automatic. Guys do not have – there are certain nights where guys don't have it. You know, whether it's Barrett, whether it's Randall. Now, keeping a guy like Jalen Brunson, just because of how good he is in the clutch, and we saw it again last night, even if Brunson isn't having his best game, keeping him on the bench in the fourth quarter is probably a tough sell because the entire offense runs through him, especially late in games. But, yeah, if somebody's not having it, on that particular night, then he doesn't need to be, nobody's guaranteed to be on the floor. And it worked out last night. And it worked out when Tibbs put Randall back in. Let's go to Tommy in New Hyde Park. Hey, Tommy. Hey, Pat. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing all right. About the Nick game quick, but I really want to talk about football. I watched that game. I, I, I was minus five and a half and it had to be over two, ten and a half. Not even close. Well, I couldn't believe they finished the game and won that game by, uh, by I think, two points. It was a great win against a quality opponent, and they, and they needed that because they hadn't had many of those this year. All right, because they were down 18. I was like, I turned it off. And I'm like, I'm not going to lose in this bet. But can I ask you, Pat? Now, I'm still in a knockout pool. All right. All right, so you know you're running out of teams, right? Yeah. Um, I like Cincinnati against Pittsburgh. Cincinnati's home plus one and a half. But the, right. you don't care about the score. What do you? Th- and I like the Vikings. Who do you? Who do you think you like uh, this week? That's a could be a lot. <laughs> Tommy, thanks for the call, but I'm not betting your money. <laughs> uh, what I will say is, let's see, the Vikings are playing on Monday night against the Bears. Um, so that's a favorable matchup. The Bears are not a good football team, and they don't have a good quarterback. Um, the Bengals lost their quarterback for the season, and they're playing against a Steelers team that is six and 6-4 and finds ways to win games, probably more than they should. And I'll leave it at that. I learned a long time ago not to bet 
somebody else's money. 1-800-919-3776. We'll uh, get a little deeper into the Knicks conversation and more of your calls on the Jets and anything else on your mind here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. All right, the Michael K. Show holiday party returns on Friday, December 8th. That's coming up. It's at your mother's house in Garden City Park, Long Island, with plenty of giveaways for fans in attendance, including ticket packages from the Jets, the Knicks, the Rangers, and the Islanders, plus special guest appearances by Amani Toomer, Rick DiPietro, and more. So mark your advent calendars and get ready to spread some cheer at the Michael K. Show Holiday Party, Friday, December 8th, at your mother's house in Garden City Park, Long Island. Brought to you by the New York Islanders, Jake's 58 Casino Hotel, Yingling, traditional lager and flight by Yingling, the perfect beers for the holiday season. Security Dodge, visit securitydodge.com and come get some selection and benefiting the Garden of Dreams Foundation. Here till 7, Islanders hockey coming your way then. Pat O'Keefe with you, 1-800-919-3776. I'll be back here tomorrow evening. Knicks and the Phoenix Suns from Madison Square Garden. Wally Zerbiak and I will have the call of that one here on ESPN New York. But in the meantime, let's go back to the phones and let's go to Anthony in Harlem. Hey, Anthony. Hey, Pat. Happy belated Thanksgiving. You too. Thanks, Anthony. This team that I live and die with, these Jets that, that mostly just die with, it's, it's a sickening weekend for Jet fans. And if you'll give me – I have a couple of questions for you. In your opinion, in the last few seasons, do the Jets look like a disciplined team under Robert Sala? No. Do, do they look like a team that pays attention to the final points? Do you, do you think he's ever going to be a successful coach in this league, Robert Sala, Pat? successful head coach i would have to say no i tend to agree with you he's a very good coordinator yes he's not a head coach i think he has to go and and i'd like to talk a little about joe douglas because because you know he had a really good draft with sauce and garrett wilson but he's had a lot of bad draft picks he has let me just interject there for a second anthony i agree he did have a really good draft but let's also you know he had two picks in the top 10 yeah, and and they were pretty no-brainers, right? Yeah. But but the most important pick he had to make, the most important pick he had to make was Zach Wilson. And and that year, people forget this. That year, they had a fifth-year option for Sam Darnold, and the Niners were dying to move up. They gave the Dolphins the godfather package that the Jets said no to. And you know what the Dolphins got? They got three first-round picks. And you know who they took? Jalen Waddell. They traded for Tyreek Hill, and they traded for Bradley Chubb. That's also what he refused when he picked his kid who played 11 games in a COVID season. You know what's a – I love to tell people this about Zach Wilson. Two of the teams he played his junior year at BYU folded their football programs, and you fell in love with him because of a pro day. That's a fireable offense in my opinion, Pat. Thank you. Anthony, it is a fireable offense. Sorry to say it that way. I hate calling for other people's jobs, but unfortunately, it's part of the business. It's also a fireable offense when it's combined with a 24-53 and 53 record, which is what the Jets have been in the five seasons since Joe Douglas took over as general manager. And I said this earlier, but as you go through the records each season, you want to say, oh, okay, well, he shouldn't get hit with the first season because he was hired as the GM in July and didn't have a full offseason leading into his first season. However, the problem with that is, they were 7-9 and nine his first season. That was the best season that the Jets have had under Joe Douglas's stewardship. 
Since then, 2-14. and 14, That was the last Adam Gase year, the one that led to the number two overall pick and Zach Wilson. After that 4-13 and 13 in Wilson's rookie season and Salah's first season, 7-10 and 10 last year, as we know, and now here you are sitting at 4-7. and seven. The Zach Wilson pick, because it's not just about it's not just about the pick. The pick in itself is a mind-boggling blunder. It is a bust of epic proportions. It's up there with Jamarcus Russell. It's up there with Achilles Smith. It's up there with Heath Schuler. I mean, those are the the benchmarks for monumental draft busts. And most monumental draft busts come at the quarterback position. And all those guys I mentioned were quarterbacks that were picked in the top five of the draft. Zach Wilson's name belongs right up there next to those guys. And Anthony's right, the caller. They did not have to make that selection. They had Sam Darnold, who, was he everything you thought he was going to be? No. Was it entirely his fault? No. He had to play with absolutely no skill position players around him for a head coach in Adam Gase who did not know what he was doing. Sam Darnold was given very, very little shot to succeed, and he didn't succeed. Zach Wilson has been given a much more shot to succeed, especially these last two years with the defense that Zach Wilson doesn't have to do that much with the defense that they put together. And that's the saving grace for Douglas. This defense, this defense, you know, the 7-4 and four last year, 4-3 and three start this year. You know, I put together a defense good enough to start. But it, what did you do at the end of the season? How did you finish the season? What's the overall body of work? The Zach Wilson pick on its own is a complete bust. On top of that, the fact that you moved on from Sam Darnold before you had to move on from him and all of the other repercussions. You know, look what Miami did with that pick. And I believe that Miami pick was courtesy of the Houston Texans. So Miami was already coming at it from a place of uh, more strength than the Jets were. The Jets were picking second in the draft because they stunk. They were 2-14. and 14. Miami was picking third in the draft because the Texans stunk, not because Miami stunk. Miami wasn't great either, but they weren't third pick in the draft bad. And they were able to cash that in with San Francisco to fortify their roster, and look where they are right now. They were on their way to possibly a division title last year until Tua got concussed, and they're in the driver's seat for a division title this season. Let's go to Jose in Brooklyn. Jose, how you doing? Hey, good evening, Pat. Shout out to the company. And just wanted to chime in because uh, with the Jet Talk because I am a person that looks at it from all angles. And, you know, I, I, I do thank um, um, Spike for mentioning me earlier um, from our previous text conversations. But um, I, I was one of those guys that, you know, since I knew Zach Wilson was going to be a draft bust from the very beginning, and I, I hate to say it because I don't root for people to be bust, but when I watched college football and I knew that there were so many other better quarterbacks that looked better than him in college and just knew that they were better than and would be more functional, it was kind of, you know, what we saw. And when 
when it, the, the 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 time came, for some reason, Lafleur had to lose his job. Salah had to be under scrutiny because they lost all those games. When it was very clear, when anyone other than Zach Wilson ran the offense, they looked a lot better. And you know, guys like you know, we had guys like Michael Carter and Elijah Moore and Barrios and Corey Davis, who actually looked very good in an offense. And when we let all those people go for going after Aaron Rodgers, it was one of those things that I, yes, cautioned from the very beginning. So I don't feel like, you know, it's not a, a situation of just relitigating. It's a situation of callers calling up saying, hey, this is something that we kind of feared where it would become a little too Aaron Rodgers centric. And now we're at a situation where it looks like we have a bad offensive coordinator, uh, still have a bad offensive line, which I do blame Joe Douglas for. We have a bad situation at quarterback, which I blame Woody Johnson for, and I'll start, you know, explaining that later on other shows, because ever since he's become more increasingly involved, the team has gotten worse every year. And it's a situation where I, I just don't see them getting better because they're going to have to double down with Aaron Rodgers. Hopefully he comes back and hopefully they do better next year. But this is a situation where we thought last year we were just a quarterback away. And everyone who's who's now um, backing on Derek Carr, Derek Carr still has three more touchdowns than Zach Wilson. And a six and about uh, well about like a few less interceptions, and he's leading a team. He's leading his team to 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 the division with a lesser well, talented state team. We're not. So oh, we got to stop that. We have yeah. to. So so there, 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 there's other ways of looking at it, and we would have been. Yes, I'm sorry. Derek Carr would have been a better option than Zach Wilson. Well, here's the thing, Jose. Let me just jump in. Let me jump in on Derek Carr, and, and good to hear mm-hmm. from you, and thanks for the call. Um, Derek Carr, we're not even sure if he's playing this week. This, this shouldn't turn into a Derek Carr versus Aaron Rodgers thing. And you want to say Derek Carr has more touchdown passes than Zach Wilson? He does. Tommy DeVito has more touchdown passes for Zach Wilson. That's not a Derek Carr thing. That's a Zach Wilson thing. And that goes back to Joe Douglas, that Zach Wilson never should have been the plan B for this franchise. But I go back to what I said earlier. The reason why... They had to, quote-unquote, sell their soul to Aaron Rodgers was because for 15 years they picked a quarterback, five quarterbacks in the top two rounds of the draft for a 15-year span. That's a lot of draft capital at quarterback. In the top two rounds of those five quarterbacks, three of them were selected within the top five picks of the entire draft. Now, the first one, obviously when you compare it to everybody else, was a smashing success. Mark Sanchez went to the AFC Championship game his first two seasons. And then you take Sam Darnold third, and then you take Zach Wilson second, and that puts you in the position where you have to basically give in to all the whims of a quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, who is a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the all-time greats, but also a guy who is a little bit off the beaten path and a little bit of a different guy. But because you haven't been able to get this right at this position for so long, that's the position that you put yourselves in, that you had to quote-unquote sell your soul to this guy. And we're going to see that play out this offseason. He's going to have a big say in who's back and who's moving on. Let's go to Vinny on Long Island. Hey, Vinny, how you doing? Hey, Pat, how are you? I'm good, thanks. 
Yeah, uh, talking about all those quarterbacks really brings uh, you know back the last you know twelve, thirteen years of complete pain. And you know, I remember uh, I'm 35, but I remember uh, the uh, AFC Championship game in 2011, and you know, thinking that the Jets were here and that they were here to stay, and they were you know building something formidable. And you know, it's just been. Uh, let down after let down since then and then the play you know the 99 yard uh, uh you know play yesterday really just add, adds to the list of uh you know how inept this this team has been you know not just for the last 13 years but for the majority of my lifetime so uh you know I had a lot of optimism going into this year you know but i i, I think honestly you know like you said aaron Rodgers is going to have all the say but I, I think you got to run it back one more year and uh, you know, I don't. I don't see them making wholesale changes. I, I think Robert Sala is not the coach for this team. But you know, I think if Aaron Rodgers wants him back another year, just for that continuity factor, I think you'll see him back. And then uh, you know, obviously see what happens next year. But you know, a little more optimism around uh, around my Knicks. And uh, great, great to sit at home, watch a game last night, and uh, you know, in, in its entirety. And it just felt like you know old-school Knicks basketball defense, uh, you know, situational offense and uh, spark plugs off the bench and excited about this team and, you know, see where they're going to go. And I just want to hear what you have to say. Have a great night. You too, Vinny. Thanks for the call. Uh, It's a good team. And I was big on this last week when I was hosting the show down in Charlotte ahead of the – during the Knicks road trip when they were taking on the Hornets last week. You know, we're at the point now where I think 50 wins is a reasonable expectation for this Knicks team. If you look at the early season schedule, and this is how you get to 50 wins in the NBA. The way you get to 50 wins is you fatten up on the teams that you should beat. And the Knicks have done that this season. They play extremely well in Atlanta. That's two wins there. They took care of business in Charlotte. They're not a good team. They, in fact, they beat them twice. Uh, They took care of business against the Wizards. They're not a good team. They went on the road. They caught Cleveland on a night where they were missing a couple of all-star players. They beat them handily. But the one thing the Knicks hadn't really done uh, until last night is beat a top-flight team. And a game like that, and I understand Miami was missing a couple of key players. They were missing Tyler Hero. They were missing Duncan Robinson. But anybody who knows about the Heat knows that they are – as well-equipped as any team to withstand an absence from their lineup. I mean, look at last year. Tyler Hero was their second-leading scorer. They lost him in their first playoff game. He didn't come back, and they still made it all the way to the NBA Finals. So that is a very, very good win, the way they came back last night, because it was looking bleak. You know, they were up by a point at halftime. It was your typical Knicks-Miami dogfight. And then all of a sudden, the Heat, and this is something the Knicks need to get straightened out soon, because the last two games... Monday in Minnesota, the Timberwolves started the second half on an 11-0 run. A two-point game went to a 13-point game just like that. And then last night, Knicks had a one-point lead at the half. The Heat started the second half on a 19-0 run. It looked like that was it. I mean, Miami doesn't blow leads like that, right? But quickly hit a couple of shots in the third quarter that got the Knicks by the fourth quarter at least within striking distance. And then quickly hit a couple of more shots to pull the Knicks even closer. And then... With four minutes left, Brunson and Barrett and the Knicks defense combined to pull off this. I mean, they were down by nine with three minutes and 50 seconds to go. It was a tremendous win against a high-quality opponent 
in the in-season tournament, which we'll, we'll take a break in a second. I'll have some thoughts on the in-season tournament because I really do think that that added a little bit of juice to the game last night. But all in all, it was a terrific win. And the one thing you love to see for this Knicks team is it wasn't just Brunson. It wasn't just Randall. In fact, it wasn't Randall at all. It was Brunson in the fourth quarter with eight points. It was quickly in the fourth quarter with eight points. It was R.J. Barrett in the fourth quarter with eight points. They had multiple avenues of offense, and it's been a while since the Knicks had that sort of optionality late in games, and that played a big factor in what, to this point, has been their best win of the season. 1-800-919-3776. More thoughts on the Knicks and the Jets as we take you to the top of the hour here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Step And it was a huge win for the Knicks. Um, ESPN Stats and Info had this after the game. It was the first time that the Knicks had trailed by 16 points entering the fourth quarter and won the game since April of 1999. Their opponent, when they did it that time, was also the Miami Heat. And over the last 40 years, the Knicks have trailed by at least 15 points entering the fourth quarter and come back to win only three times. One was that 1999 game. One was last night. And then one was last year. All three times they did it against the Miami Heat. It was a tremendous win for the Knicks. Uh, the Garden crowd was rocking. And I got to admit, this in-season tournament that, look, my take on the in-season tournament at the beginning of the season when it was announced when we were trying to figure out exactly what this is my take was always the following you shouldn't hate it okay if you want to be ambivalent about it that's fine but the fact that the games still count okay the fact that the Knicks heat game last night even if it wasn't an in-season tournament game it still counts as a regular season game and a 21 point comeback by the Knicks when they were trailing by that much in the third quarter, and if they were to come back and win, would have been exciting whether or not it was an in-season tournament game. So the fact that there were people saying that they hate the in-season tournament, the fact that it's an in-season tournament game shouldn't make you think any less of the game. It is still a regular season game as important as the other 81 on your regular season schedule. And then there's the chance that it's going to actually drum up some interest among fans throughout the league. And I've got to be honest with you, with me personally, and from what I have seen, I do think that it's working. I have now the last couple of days, you see people checking the standings and not the NBA standings. You're checking the in-season tournament standings. You know, now every team has played either three or four of these games in group play. It's a four, Everybody plays four games, um, four teams from each conference advance. As far as the Knicks go, they've played three games, and they play their fourth on Tuesday night at the Garden against the Charlotte Hornets, who they've already beaten twice by double digits this year. They should beat them. If the Knicks win that game, they would finish 3-1 and one in pool play. And right now, now this could change, but right now among all the teams that have a chance to finish 3-1 and one in pool play, the Knicks have the best point differential, which is the number one tiebreaker, which means if the Knicks win that game and things stay the way they are right now, the Knicks would advance to the quarterfinals, to the knockout round, which would be exciting because then there's only eight teams left and you're getting... 
you're getting some new teams involved. The Indiana Pacers, they clinched their group. They beat the Cavs, a playoff team last year. They beat the 76ers, who started the season as one of the best teams in the NBA. The Pacers went 4-0, so they're going to be in the knockout round. The Orlando Magic, they finished yesterday 3-1 in their group, and they had a huge come-from-behind win against the Boston Celtics. For teams like that that you're not used to seeing in the spring, in the NBA playoffs, for teams like that, I do think that this is a big deal for fan bases like that. And like I said, there's no there's no downside to it. I think the courts are cool. I liked the court at Madison Square Garden last night. By the way, I also think the players are into it. If the Knicks lost that game last night, they would have been eliminated from contention for the NBA Cup. They would not have made it to the knockout round if they lost that game to the Heat. And it looked like all was lost when they were down by 16 points entering the fourth quarter. I think the players want to go to Vegas. If you make the quarterfinals, you play. And then if you win in the quarterfinals, the semifinals and the championship are in Las Vegas, December 7th and December 9th. I think, and, and the look, the NBA, if you haven't noticed, is dedicating a lot of marketing resources, not only with the courts, but with the city edition uniforms. They're giving it a different look. There's commercials. There's a whole marketing campaign to try to drum up excitement for this. So whoever the four teams are that get to Vegas, and right now the Knicks are still in the running to be one of those four teams, it's going to be a big deal for the players. And you know what? There's also the monetary component. Now, just hear me out, right? You you look at Julius Randle, for example, who's making, I think, $27 million a year. So if you win the NBA Cup, every player on the winning team um, makes $500,000. Every player, 1 through 15 on the roster, okay? Every player on the team that loses in the finals makes $250,000. First of all, I don't know any player or human being that's turning down $500,000. Number two don't just think of it from the perspective of the top paid players on the team and how much it would affect them. You know, take the Knicks for an example. Jalen Brunson is lifelong friends, not lifelong, but college friends and teammates with a guy like Ryan Archidiakono. I'm not saying that the Knicks are going to play extra hard for that, but it, it, it makes a difference for these guys. The financial incentive is not just for each individual player, all right? It's for the guys at the bottom of the roster that are part of the team to whom $500,000 or $250,000 would mean an enormous amount for guys on the minimum salary. So you have to kind of broaden the way you look at this. And the bottom line is, from what I have observed, the players are into the in-season tournament. Now, it's not life-changing. It's not changing the way that the season is played. And we'll see how it all plays out. But for now, last night was exciting because I do think part of the component of that game at the Garden last night was the fact that if the Knicks lose the game, then, hey, they're out. And unfortunately, Tuesday's game at the Garden, yes, while still an in-season tournament game against Charlotte, would not be as meaningful because neither the Knicks nor the Hornets would be playing for anything. And because of the Knicks' comeback last night, that has now changed. 1-800-919-3776. More thoughts on this as we get you to the top of the hour and Islanders hockey here on 98.7 ESPN New York.